Hi, welcome to a new episode of Engineering Rebuild. Do you think you know a lot about construction? Maybe we can provide a fresh perspective. This is a podcast where we rebuild preconceptions of engineering. Reclaim the narrative. And share the voices of women from across the construction industry. Why not join us? Let's get started. Welcome to our latest episode of the Engineering Rebuild podcast. I'm your host, Tina Gunnarsson, uh, together with Yvonne Raleigh, and today we are joined by the brilliant Kerry Evans. So Kerry, welcome to our podcast. It's really lovely to meet you. Um, would you like to start by briefly introducing yourself to us and the audience? Uh, yes, so I am uh, Kerry Evans, and uh, I'm located in, in North Wales, and I manage a section of the A55 uh, using the uh, DBFO contract, which is a, a PFI contract uh, with a 30 year um, period for operations and maintenance following its construction in 1999. So on the 17th of December, 2028, uh, we will be handing the keys back to Welsh government and, and uh, going on our merry way. So that's what I do, look after a pretty hefty large piece of road uh, with, two significant bridges on first one being the menai bridge which was built in 1826 and then the britannia bridge although it's split into certain elements because network rail goes across it as well and that was constructed of course by stevenson in 1898 so there we are that's proper engineering that's that's proper <laughs> engineering i love that well a lot of the time it isn't necessarily, well, I don't know, maybe I'm underselling a little bit, really. All you can ever do is ask people the right questions to give you the proper information that allows you to make the right decision. And that right decision, you know, I mean, if the DBFO contract didn't exist, probably that element of checking against what we're doing is correct, you know, may, might be missing. But, you know, there's still a... Um, You've still got to weigh up pros and cons, uh, not just in terms of cost uh, and the environment, but there's also this thing of, you know, what is that thing that we've just built going to look like when we hand the road back to Welsh Government in 2028? You know, do we need to do something more to it and, and that sort of thing? So, yeah, it's, it's multifaceted. It's really quite challenging sometimes to, you know, to weigh up all of those things. It's, we don't just go out there and put a sign up we've got to think about what that's going to look like in 2028 and and that residual life for for the client Welsh government so it's interesting what does uh, a typical day in the life look like <laughs> or is there no such thing <laughs> well <laughs> no it's a lot of emails but that's okay. I like the emails, you know, and I'm always quite quick at responding to emails. 
because I, I don't like them hanging over me. But what that means is that if I've got a piece of work that I need to do, that tends to get shoved to the side because it's emails. And one of the real frustrating parts of my job is that often you don't build a thing. So whereas, you know, when I worked at um, Mott's or, or any or YNGC or any of the other sort of consultancies I worked at, you'd be given a, a scope, an objective, you know, go away, build this thing, develop the project, get your costs, bosh, 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 off you go. Here, it's because we've got that long term involvement, it's not necessarily that you're spending your time building a thing you're potentially just having a lot of discussions one day about contract which means that you feel at the end of it you haven't done anything because you haven't produced anything but actually the value of your discussions in terms of the contract with you know welsh government or the board or my general manager you know the value is there um and it's it's amazing how much a, a good chat can can cost or or save a lot of money. Yeah, there's um, there's plenty of conversations that uh, that cost money. Um, been through a few of those myself. <laughs> 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 I am I'm from a contracting background, yes. so um, although I now do um, my business now does tendering and, and writing tenders um, for consultants and contractors, I come from a, a really strong contracting background, same as Tina, and. Uh, yeah, it's that part of the buzz for me was the was the being on site thing. And I find that I, I miss some of that now with the, the tendering side, although there's still an end product, which is I've secured the work for the client that we're working for. It's not the same mm. level of of buzz, is it? I mean, that's no. I, I, I mean, no. <laughs> and I love snagging. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love going out there. I'm like, that's the wrong size. That's in the wrong place. What have you done with that? I love that. Oh. <laughs> I, I love it when you go out on site when they're building something and you you know, and, and, and you're being escorted through site and, and you just stop and they've carried on walking, then they come back. Are you okay? And you just look at something, you go, Is that okay? And then they're like, Oh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and I know, but it's just the way you approach things. There's no point going out on site shouting and screaming at people. You're not going to get anywhere, are you? But, you know, sometimes just pausing and being quiet says so much more. Anyway, so that's part. Of it. I love that. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Tina, you are a sustainability methods engineer. So what's the best bit about your day? Um... So I've got a lot of emails as well, just like Kerry. Um, although I don't think I like them as much as Kerry does. <laughs> um, I think my favorite bit about my role right now is that I'm um, like sustainability has always been this undertone. Um, it's always been like a continuous thread in my engineering career. And it was the reason I wanted to get involved in engineering. Um, but I never had a role that focused 100% on sustainability it was always a side aspect a bit like cost or health and safety or time or quality or snagging it was never the sole focus and i'm now in this um quite exciting position where um sustainability is my sole focus and i've never had that opportunity before so i'm quite excited to see 
um, where I can go with it and what I can do with it. <laughs> so interesting how times have changed, isn't it? It's, you know, and I remember when I was at university and, and you know, we had so much discussion and modules and assignments to do with you know, climate change, global warming and sustainability. And of course, then we had that lovely uh, Venn diagram of what sustainability looks like. And everybody was ticking the boxes and saying the words. And and then here we are and, and we're approaching that cliff edge where those words and the empty words and promises of the past are really now coming. You know, the chickens are coming home to roost, aren't they? And I find it really interesting. I just released a tender. Well, I've just awarded a tender. But um, when I was looking at developing the quality questions, God, it's so difficult developing quality questions. And, and you're so right. That afterthought element of certain aspects like the environment yeah. were always the last question worth 5%. So I really brought it kicking and screaming front and center for this, t for this tender. It's the first time I've written a, a quality question as part of a tender for, for quite some time. And, and uh, it's great responsibility uh, when you're writing quality questions. First of all, you want the best out of your suppliers when they're bidding on a tender. You know, you want them to do a good job, every single one of them. Um, and so they need to be able to um, develop a good answer to the question you're asking. So there's no point making it a really difficult question and then rubbing your hands together in glee saying, ha ha, I'm going to catch them out because you're not doing yourself any favours. However, um, I did put the climate change question right at the very beginning and it was quite heavily weighted in the tender and I wanted to see what they do and to evidence what they do. Don't just say the words. You know, we're, we're sick of hearing the words, want to show. So the answers that came back were varied, but I am hoping that, um, you know, as a result of their involvement in this tender, they'll they'll go away from that and, and you know, perhaps develop a proper climate change strategy. A lot of them just said, well, we've got ISO 14001. All right. You know, so what? <laughs> what does that tell me? That doesn't tell me what you're doing for climate change. Show me what you're doing. You know, uh, I've got grandchildren. I, I don't want them to live in a, a world that's just ruined by us, really. Yeah, so, so that was really interesting. Looking back at, you know, what you were saying about being a sustainability engineer. It's just brilliant, you know, and perhaps there is some hope for us, maybe. I certainly hope so. But it's really interesting to hear that you're putting climate change at the front and centre and that it's driven, you know, if, if we're asking for it, um, hopefully we will get it. And if we're not asking, then no one's going to do anything about it. So it makes me really happy to hear that you've written a question about it. And as someone who's been on the yeah. receiving end of answering those questions, it's really interesting to hear what it's like writing those questions. It is quite tricky because you know what, you know the answer that you hope to get, you know, not necessarily in detail, but you know what you're, you know, or I know what I'm looking for. You know, I'm doing so many different projects now or developing so many different projects on the DBFO because this is all about legacy. 
where from my point of view i leave the dbfo on on anglesey in 2028 i i'm off i'm hoping uh, to move to scotland that's that's my aim and so what what is that road going to look like when i go when we leave the uk highways a55 dbfo what is that road going to look like well okay it's going to be a great road there's great bridges there's great safety barrier there's great signs where have we increased or improved things such that we've contributed in a real positive tangible way to the challenges that society is facing today and that leads really nicely into the question we ask all our podcast guests which is what change would you like to see happen in the construction industry over the next we say five years but um 2028 is fine or i guess answering that question yourself what would you most like to see change that real positive tangible change i would like to see the ability for publicly funded organisations such as government and local authority being given power to innovate when it comes to um, betterment for uh, the environment or, or as part of their projects. We're still going to have to build things, right? We're still going to have to use concrete and produce steel and all of these things because we still have to live. I and mean, there's a, 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 a certain level of expectation of a good life that 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 we all, you know, sort of um, uh, try and achieve. And so that's a given. So we need to offset that impact and we need to do it in a proper way. But we need to free the hands of the people with the money. Now, what's frustrating to me is that you hear from um, uh, you hear from local government or policy or, 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 or local authority. We expect the contractors to tell us. We expect the contractors to tell us how they're going to in innovate. We, we want the consultants to tell us how to, to innovate. And well, you can't do that because if you issue a tender that asks for 10 apples, but your tenderers say, well, actually, I know you want 10 apples, but if you have these five oranges, they're so much better the environment, they're not going to win the work because the client has asked for 10 apples. And there just seems to be this huge disjoin of understanding between publicly serviced, publicly funded services and how industry can, you know, they want to make money. They want to help the client. They want to build things. They want to do what's right. But don't tie the hands. Don't bind the hands here. It's that's what I'd like to see. Somebody being a little bit brave and allowing clients to tell industry we want you to innovate and you you just show us the benefit show us the value how can we do this but at the moment it's just ridiculous and so say yeah, i, I, love that. <laughs> I absolutely love that i mean it, it's interesting because i i do quite a lot of private client tendering so in the aviation sector most airports are owned by private clients and so we're seeing a lot more um drive for innovation because they've also got to catch their carbon footprint i mean aviation is like the big white elephant in the room um but 
they've got they've got really yeah. ambitious targets you look at some of the airports that we work with across the world and the targets they're setting and the questions they're asking are really pushing innovation and they're quite happy to have massively innovative bids and they're quite happy to assess them in a way because they don't have to follow the same rules as everybody else that you can put in a massive alternative that says actually we want to provide you with seven bananas and three oranges and apples don't need to feature on the menu at all because that provides them with the best solution for them and that is really refreshing i mean that's the, that's the bit of my job i love um, yes, we do the local government stuff where they say, oh, have you got a carbon reduction plan? Yes, tick the box. Okay, you've got a carbon reduction plan, end of discussion. We don't need to know anymore, just tick the box. But when you get to like private mm. clients, they're saying, what is your, your gender balance? What is your, what is your balance yes. in terms of um, ethnic minorities, in terms of LGBTQAI? What is your balance in terms of innovation and how are you bringing that to the party? and how are you going to tick these innovation targets that we've built into the tender? And those things are all being pushed by clients because it's the clients that are actually pushing contractors to achieve better. 100%, 100%. So I'm really lucky that, you know, as part that because the DBFO is a private, um, private company, you know, there is freedom to, um, you know, go out there and, and be quite, um, open-minded about the benefits that we can we can get through a, a good um, procurement process the thing is what's really difficult is of course public funded organizations are subject to critique from the masses and they need to show that there's no corruption first and foremost because hey everybody's corrupt according to social media which is not true by a long way but depending on the political argument and persuasion that sort of thing it really it really stains the reputation I, I think which is a real shame and undoubtedly you know things have happened which are questionable and, and so on but I, I think I, I don't know I think that's part of the frustration for me that how, how social media can take things and opinions and, and the political agenda contain things and then that really uh, dampens down the ability to uh, innovate and, and you know thread through those opportunities in procurement yeah it's it's interesting um i mean, i built spinnaker tower 20 years ago now and at the time that it was there was an awful lot of um negative feedback about the the cost of building it um but actually over time now I mean, that was a really innovative structure. You go 170 meters in the air on a 30 meter by 50 meter platform. That it, it was always going to be a challenge. But over time, people have realized that actually it was an amazing build and it's now held very fondly within the community of Portsmouth. But it, it, the, the negative publicity really, really impacted on, on a lot of the stuff that the client was trying to do. And I think it, social media now is is even more powerful than than 20 years ago when really everything else was um was quite quiet i mean 20 years ago social media wasn't really, wasn't really a thing but um it, it still made a massive no. impact and it, it just didn't exist you know the the the, the sort of impact and I, I remember well 20 20 years ago 
I started using the internet in 1997. <laughs> so that is a real yeah, long time ago, right? Ago. I know. I, 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 it doesn't feel like that long ago, but uh, but it is. And, and of course, back then, I, I wasn't working as, a, as an engineer back then. You know, I came quite late to the engineering industry. I was a single parent for many years. And um, I actually went to university when I was 30. Uh, as a result of um, some lovely support from Women's Aid, uh, I was uh, homeless with the, uh, my two eldest boys then in a women's refuge after a domestic abuse um, uh, uh, incident. And um, I, I was so lucky and, and, and I, I, feel, I feel so grateful for the opportunities that have been given to me, you know. I wish I could speak to the people who helped me back then and just say, thank you because of you, you know, this, this, this is where I am today. These, this is what my children are doing today because of what you did, uh, which is, which is, um, yeah, which is amazing. But, um, you know, it was, we all go through difficult times. Of course, we all have our own challenges and everybody's got their own mountain to climb. Um, as a woman in engineering, there was a period in 2009 where I was diagnosed with breast cancer and uh, I had a, had a lumpectomy and then <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but I'm going to because this is how I just I just deal with these things. But on the day that I found out I was actually at work Well, well I, I'd been to to the doctors and I came back, been given the diagnosis with when I was with my partner then and I bought everybody those Danish buns that have got white icing and a cherry on <laughs> and I gave everybody one of those at lunchtime and I said I got something to tell you and uh, the reason you've got those cakes is because Ta -da, I've got breast cancer and I think people were I think people would have found it easier f to deal with had I have been upset but I couldn't be upset because what's that going to achieve? And I know everybody deals with things differently, but that and, and I immediately went into survivor mode of, right, okay, so I'm going to need this amount of time off. I'm going to need to do this. And I just project managed my life and dealt with it. And I worked all the way through my chemotherapy. Um, and then two years later, I found out I had the BRCA1 gene, hurrah. Thanks, mum. And um, it's not her fault, of course, but and so I had um, full hysterectomy and double mastectomy, um, which was really difficult. But I have to say that every single person that I came into contact with, bar one, one person, were extraordinary and so supportive. Um, however, during a, a redundancy process, and I shan't say which company, uh, a manager said to me when I asked, this is six months after, no, sorry, one month after finishing chemo. And I said, look, I'm, I'm going to struggle. If you close this office, I'm really going to struggle to commute to Manchester because I'm, I'm not well. And he said, well, if you can't do the job, Kerry will find somebody else who can. And I was like, oh, is that your official stance in relation to the Equalities Act? At which point he almost fell off his chair because he hadn't realised that uh, I read things. 
So it's been a challenge and I'm not the only one, you know, um, the domestic abuse is, is, is sadly very common. You look at how many women are, you know, reported in the headlines, usually the very worst of situations. And then of course, breast cancer, is it one in two people now get cancer and, and it's an amazing feeling that you immediately feel guilty and ashamed that you've got cancer. Well, I did because I felt that I was immediately a burden. I was a burden to my partner. I was a burden to my children. I was a burden to my employer because of the sick leave I would have to take. And that was part of why I worked all the way through it as well. Plus, I think I, think I would have just lost my mind if I had not had work. But my manager at that time was a chap called Dave Robinson and he was just amazing just amazing and he was just human and uh yeah so there we go a little bit about me and now I'm going through the menopause which is terrible <laughs> I've got a little pink menopausal face most of the time which is horrendous but how lucky am I to live so long that I'm going through the menopause right it's interesting that you feel guilty because actually Everybody looking from the outside goes, wow, you're inspirational. And then from the inside, you feel like I, I'm failing completely here in, in that moment. And I wonder how much of that is actually societal programming. Um, I mean, I've met lots of men who've had cancer and I've met lots of women who've had cancer. And obviously I'm not generalizing. Yeah, I am generalizing. Most of the women have felt guilty and a number of the men have not. And I think I wonder if actually society trains us to be servants, to be there to provide for everybody. And when we can't do that, that's where that guilt comes from. I, I, I think women, um, oh, it was the case. I don't know if it still is. I, I, I just felt that I think most of my life I've felt bad about not doing something well enough or not doing something at all or not being good enough. I feel guilty as an engineer working in this industry because my degree is in geography. Now I did a geography degree because I was in a women's aid refuge who arranged for a meeting with the Dean of University of Chester. And he said to me, how can I help? what do you want to do? At which point I almost fell over that somebody was being so kind. And I said, I like volcanoes. So I did a geography degree and I loved it. However, that was to be a high school teacher. Thank God I didn't. But, you know, that just opened the doors. But I carry this guilt that I haven't got an engineering degree. I'm not good enough. And that's so wrong. That is so wrong because 90% of the brilliant engineers I know don't have engineering degrees. I mean, hell, I have an engineering degree, but that was by mistake. I mean, I was supposed <laughs> to be doing medicine. Long story. Um, I stuck a pin in the paper. It went engineering. I went, okay, yeah, right. I'm going to be an engineer now. Um, brilliant. But, but yeah, I mean, the, the, you don't need an engineering degree. And I think this is where the institution was went on the wrong path for years was you can only be an engineer if you've got an MEng and you've done 14 years of this and 13 years of that and seven years. Of this. It's like, 
how tight guys there's some amazing people out there with real engineering skill and they have never been near a university that studies or that trains them in engineering and when we get I, past yeah. that then then the whole world becomes a lot more innovative exactly because diversity is success right diversity in all of its forms is success we don't want to employ people like me I don't want to have a conversation in an echo chamber with people who are going to agree with me. It doesn't make me grow. It doesn't make the business grow. It, it stifles things and you end up entrenched in, well, I, I won't say what I potentially would say if we weren't on camera, <laughs> but entrenched in a mindset that has not changed for the 200 years that certain institutions have been in existence. And that's not to take away the importance of those institutions. They are vital for the industry, for ethics, for integrity, for professionalism and to understand and expand and, and all the rest of it. However, the basis and the foundation of your thought train uh, is influenced by those that you speak with, communicate with, surround yourself with. And if they look like you, then you're not growing. And that is a problem. Absolutely. And so say I again. <laughs> so you've mentioned, um, oh, you've mentioned all these things that you've been through and I admire how strong you've been throughout all of it. Um, and I would love to know if you have any advice for either people who are going through some of those things like homelessness, like cancer, like single parenting, um, or whether you have any advice for allies and people um, who are not going through those things, but know people who are going through those things and how we can best support the people around us. Um, yeah, I, I, I do have advice and um, my advice is, is that honesty wins out even when it hurts. And so it is vital to be honest with your colleagues, honest with your line managers, honest with people who are clients, right? Because your honesty might open a door for somebody else to start a conversation. By saying, I am a survivor of domestic abuse and some horrendous experiences, but I am here and I am still kicking. And I hope that, it's a weird word, I almost said by admitting, isn't that funny? By admitting that I'm a domestic abuse survivor. What an astonishing thing to immediately think. I shouldn't have to admit it. It's part of my story. It's part of how I feel and how I think. And if you open your mind and your honesty to people around you, there are some really great kind people out there and you have zero to be ashamed about because sometimes your body doesn't do the things you want it to do, but you, what you are and what makes you up is what's inside here, how you think and how you feel. And when it comes to sharing your experiences and asking for help, you will get so much more 
respect and openness from people just being honest and I know it's scary because you immediately think my god if I tell people this they will sack me they won't want to know me I will be you know banished from this group of friends hey look if they're going to banish you from that group of friends you don't want to be friends with them anyway if they're going to sack you because you got breast cancer who wants to work for them take them to court that's what I say that's my advice be honest be open it's 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 tough, but it's easier than bottling it. That's absolutely incredible advice. Thank you so much. Um, well, it, like it's been an Thank absolute honour um, to speak to you and to have you share your story with us and with the podcast. Um, Yvonne, please, would you like to wrap up? <laughs> yeah. What more can I say? It's been amazing, Kerry. We are so grateful that you joined us. Thank you very much indeed. Um, I'm sure everybody's going to absolutely love this one and um, there's some great lessons to take from it. So thanks again for joining us. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for asking me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Engineering Rebuilt. We hope you enjoyed being part of the conversation. Please join us next time to hear more diverse stories from people who are reclaiming their narrative to rebuild engineering.